This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. So I find myself on one hand grieved that we're not able to be together in the same space, but also grateful that um, God in his mercy has provided a way for us to still be able to devote ourselves um, to the apostles' teaching together. Um, I loved um, listening to Psalm 67 last week and, and just this, this declaration like, like that God would bless us so that through us, his way would be known on the earth and that his saving power would be known among all nations. That all peoples would praise him, that the nations would be glad and sing for joy. He also talks about like judging the people fairly and letting the ends of the earth fear him because those two things, as we'll see today, go together. The justice of the Lord and all of the nations rejoicing. In our case, the coastlands. And so, Today, just a little bit of where we're going. Um, Psalm 93 through 100 emphasize the joy of God's kingship, like that he reigns. And we'll see it talk about the coastlands, which could also be referred to as the islands in some translations. But it really just means the nations, particularly the unreached nations. So if you would with me, Um, Wherever you are, if you'd like to stand to your feet, we like to do that just to honor God's word. We're going to read Psalm 97 together. Starting in verse 1. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. Fear you, for you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Let's pray. So Jesus, we come to you by your spirit, asking that your spirit that leads us into all truth would light up your word for us so that we might understand it and we might walk in it. Jesus, we know that when we see you fully and we worship you and we obey you, And so I pray that over our church, over your church today, that we would see you more fully and in doing so that we would worship you in the fullness of who you are 
and that we would obey you. Do it for your name's sake among all the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. So where we're going today is that if we see Jesus fully, we will obey him fully. Psalm 97, we see like the first five verses are kind of this epic scene of Jesus coming at the end of the age. It's going to include these things. And then we see verses 6 through 12, where it talks about the idolaters being shamed and the righteous rejoicing. And I want to really spend time on those first five verses because I feel like if we understand the fullness of God's glory, then it'll be natural to rejoice and to worship him. So the first verse, he reigns, earth rejoice. We know this is going to happen when Jesus comes back. Like it's the promise through David that Jesus would inhabit his throne eternally and forever and that he would rule with justice and with equity. So this is why in Acts 1, 6, we see the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, is now the time when you will restore your kingdom to Israel, when you will sit on the throne of David and rule us forever in perfect righteousness? They knew that this was promised of their Messiah. And this is why John ends Revelation with this cry of, Lord, come, Jesus, return for us, Maranatha. And we see Isaiah talk about this too in Isaiah 42. It says, talking about Jesus, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. So what is justice on earth? It's Jesus coming back. And we see that in Revelation where there will be a new heaven on earth and Jesus himself will live among us as our king. Like this is what we long for, for those who are believers in Jesus. We long for the day that he returns for his people and when he does, when he sits on that throne, we will experience his perfect justice. Man, I long for that day. And I hope you do too as we see all of the injustice around us, we long for a king that will come to the city of peace and will himself be our peace. This is what we long for, the return of Jesus. And we, if we look in Matthew 24, 14, it connects Jesus' return and that peace that will come when he returns with the gospel going to all nations. It says the gospel will go forth to all nations and then the end will come, meaning Jesus will come back for his bride to be our king. He will reign and in doing so, the earth will rejoice. So in this first verse, we see it talk about the coastlands. And this, like I said, this could be translated the islands or the nations. And so just to give you a picture of what they were thinking in Israel at the time, like 
The coastlands would have been Cyprus, which is ironically where Paul went on his first missionary journey. And then over to the islands of Greece, and then on to Sicily and westward. And so we see in Paul's missionary journeys, he goes to Cyprus, and then he goes to Greece more than once. Then he goes to Italy, and he speaks how he longs to go to Spain and to the coastlands of Spain. Because in his mind, that would have been the ends of the earth. And we go down to verse 2 through 5 with this in mind that the Lord will reign. And we get this crazy picture like of clouds and darkness and fire and lightning and melting mountains. Oh my. This is God's glory. And I want to show us today that like, yes, these things feel and sound crazy, but in light of what Moses experienced in the presence of God, these things are normal. So the first thing I want us to see with the clouds and the darkness is that God covers his glory. In Psalm 18, it says he made darkness his covering. In 1 Timothy 6.16, it says God dwells in unapproachable light. This is why he must cloud himself is because we cannot approach his light. His glory shines too brightly. And yet, in Matthew 14... Verse 62, Jesus tells us that he will be seated at the hand of power and he will come with the clouds of heaven. There's that connection again of the clouds. In Revelation 14, 14, we see the same thing. But this time, Jesus is wearing a golden crown coming with the clouds of heaven. God covers his glory. And I would argue that no one understands this when the psalmist writes this, better than Moses. And so I want to spend time, if you would, turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. And I want to spend time just looking at the life of Moses and how he encountered the glory of God because I feel like if we encounter the glory of God, then we will worship him for who he is. And we will obey him. Because these things happen naturally when we see God for all that he is and all that he is worth. So in Exodus 33, just to give you a little bit of background, they're at Mount Sinai and Moses has been leading the, the Israeli people through the desert. He led them across the Red Sea out of slavery in Egypt. And this comes in Exodus 33 right after they had made a golden calf. It's like, come on Israel. What are you thinking? And so Moses, it is said of him that when he goes into the tent of meeting, here's what happens. Moses is God's prophet or speaker. When Moses entered the tent of meeting, in verse 9, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And listen to this. The Lord would speak with Moses. The Lord would speak with Moses. And I want you to see the response of the people 
as they see what's happening outside of the tent, the cloud going over the tent, as Moses is in it speaking with God, the response is this in verse 10. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing on the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and they would worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Could you imagine? Could you imagine you go into this tent and a cloud falls over, you feel the presence of God and he's speaking to you face to face. This would have been crazy to the people that Moses was with. That God would speak to them in all of his glory. He would speak to Moses face to face. And Moses, in all of his boldness, we see in verse 18. So Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses says, show me your glory, God. And God basically tells him, like, you can't even handle it. He says, you cannot see my face, in verse 20. For man shall not see me and live. Now, we tend to focus on the attributes of God that are warm and fuzzy, like his love and his grace and his mercy. And those things are so true. But I want us to see here that like God's glory has the ability to kill people on the spot. It says he shall not see me and live. And so God allows Moses to see his back, but not his face, because his face would surely kill Moses. And so if we go on to chapter 34, verse 5, we see the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there. So we see before God is meeting face to face with Moses, now he's standing with Moses. And this is what the Lord says to Moses. I want you to listen closely. The Lord says, starting in verse 6, 6 and 7, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity, the sin of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is what God says of himself to Moses. That I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I want to forgive sin. So we see God setting the stage here for the need for a Messiah in Jesus. Because God's glory and God's righteousness demands demands that our sin would be dealt with because he will not clear the guilty not even to the children and the grandchildren and the great grandchildren but I want you to see Moses' response to this if we keep going down it says Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped and he said if 
Now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord. Please let the Lord go in the midst of us. Come with us. For this is a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. God had already promised these things. But he had also promised that he could not allow them to worship this golden calf that they had made. Sin must be dealt with. We see God setting the stage for the need for a Messiah to come. I mean, just think about this. Like Moses leading his people He leads them out of Egypt and out of slavery. He leads them through the Red Sea that God miraculously parts. And God leads them through the wilderness by clouds in the day and by pillars of fire in the night. Like I can't even imagine what this looks like. And God is giving them understanding of his law, of what he requires of them. And yet, because they're a stiff-necked people, Moses says, They create a golden calf as if somehow worshiping this idol is better than worshiping this God, Yahweh, who will forgive sin if they would simply turn to him. So I just want to summarize here. In Deuteronomy 4, it's kind of looking back on what happened with Exodus at the mountain. And, and so we, we see this, you know, in Psalm 97, we see the clouds and the smoke. And it talks about lightning to go down. And verse 5 might be the weirdest one. Melt, mountains melt like wax before the Lord. What does that even look like? And Deuteronomy 4 sums it up this way, that this was Moses' experience. The mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you, to you, Moses, out of the midst of the fire. And this is when God gave the Ten Commandments. That like not even the livestock could be on the hillside because it was so hot with God's glory, that even the livestock would be singed. And yet this is God showing his glory and yet choosing to meet with Moses. His glory cannot change. But yet he chooses to meet with Moses. And Moses is forever changed. Deuteronomy 4, 24, we see that the Lord is a consuming fire, a jealous God. This is a character trait of God that we often overlook, that there will be a day where he consumes with fire all that is broken off. Jesus refers to these as dead branches in John. They will be broken off and burned in the fire. So I want to bring us back to Exodus 33. 
And back to Moses' response when he encounters God in this way. Verses 15 and 16. Moses says, if your presence, God, will not go with me, don't even bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? This is what makes us different, is that we have been encountered by God and claimed by God. We find favor in his sight. We find, I mean, literally the, the word here would be holiness, like that we're set apart, that we're distinct, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that is what makes us different from every other people on the face of the earth, is that God in his glory makes us holy. So in Moses' case, this is done by faith. And in our case, it's also done by faith. But it's in the one who has come. Jesus himself. He takes our sin. He deals with it so that we can experience God, so that we can meet with the Holy Spirit and speak to the Holy Spirit and be spoken to by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in John, that we are his sheep and his sheep know his voice. God still speaks to his people. One thing that is beautiful about Moses in this, like just to give you a, a, a glowing picture of God's glory, is when Moses comes out of the tent of meeting with God, and when Moses comes off of the mountain meeting with God, it says that the Israelites couldn't even look at his face because it was too bright with the glory of God. I mean, think about that. We know that we bear God's image. We know that we reflect his glory. He tells us that we do. And yet in Moses' case, it was this physical shining. Like, could you imagine somebody comes outside and they're shining so brightly that you can't look at them? And yet this is how God encountered Moses in such a way that his glory was reflected in Moses. And so in Moses, we see that those who are changed by the glory of God, man, they obey the commands of God. Those who are changed by the glory of God, are, they're the ones that obey the commands of God. And so Moses continues to lead this stiff-necked people because he encountered God. And so he obeys the commands of God. If we see Jesus fully, we will obey him fully. So I want to draw a couple of connections here to show us what is our response. Like this is Moses' response. Essentially like, God, if you don't go with us, then we are not distinct. There's nothing that we have to offer different from all other nations. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, here it is. I am with you always to the end of the age. Moses knew that God was leading his people into the promised land. But he wasn't willing to go if God didn't send his presence with them. And in the same way, like we have a a commissioning, if you will, we have a, a job to do. But if God doesn't go with us, then we cannot do it. We have nothing to offer the nations. But Jesus tells us this, just as Moses asked, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in the midst of us. If you're not going, we cannot go, Moses says. And I just want to pose this question. If Jesus is with us always, how could we not go and do what he has asked? How could we not? And perhaps it's that we haven't encountered him fully. We haven't seen him for the fullness of who he is and the glory that he deserves. We've looked on the things like the clouds and the smokes and the lightning and the thunder and the, the mountains that melt like wax. We've you know, seen the glory of God and we've said, that's weird, that's ridiculous. Instead of fearing it and saying, wow, this is my God. He is the one that shows me favor, that sets me apart. This is my God. He is the one that makes me holy. How can we not, how can we not do, go and do what Jesus has asked? So we get down to verse six and seven. And it's this really, grievous juxtaposition. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. But then, remember the golden calf. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. And it begs the question, Like, if you had encountered God like Moses, would you worship any other object? I would would hope not. But we see that with Israelites. And I want to read, I want to read from Isaiah 66, the difference. This is how it describes God in his wrath and in his anger for those that do continue worshiping idols or false gods instead of the one true God. Isaiah 66, 15 and 16 says this. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. Let this sink in. Because I feel like this is a trait of God 
This is an action that we know God will do. That we often read over because it's hard to palate. It's hard to swallow. Those slain by the Lord shall be many. I mean, Jesus knew this. This is why he said, I must go to the next town they have yet to hear. Paul knew this. He said, this is why I must go where there are no foundations. There is no gospel witness. There is no church. Because they must hear also. And just to to zoom out a little bit, I want to give us a a global picture of what this looks like. 3.2 billion people in the world are unreached, which means they have little or no access to a church, to a Christian, or the gospel of any kind. It's 42% of the world population. Two out of five people in the world have little to no access to this news, to an understanding of this God. 222 million people have zero scripture or a Jesus film in their primary heart language. It it makes me sick because I have encountered and tasted and seen that Jesus is good and I can't imagine anyone not having access to that for themselves. And yet, the lay of the land is that we have 4.19 million full-time Christian workers in the world and 95% of them stay in the Christian world. There are 900 churches per one unreached people group. And some of those people groups are upwards of a million people. And some of them are just a couple of thousand. 900 churches per unreached people group. There are 78,000 evangelical Christians per one unreached people group. To take it a step further, 0.001% of $42 trillion in income of Christians is used to reach the unreached. And yet, like, isn't this what God has commanded us? To go and to make disciples of all nations or all coastlands so that they also may rejoice and be glad. Like, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the coastlands be glad. But if we know that they won't be glad until their their needs and, and, and their rejoicing is found in Jesus, then how will they be able to know so that they can rejoice unless we are willing to go? How can they praise him if they've never known him? And how will they know him if no one goes to tell them? This is exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 10. How will they know unless we go? I read an article this week. 
And it posed the question, why? Like, is everyone called to go? No. But certainly more people are called to go than are currently going. Which means perhaps we don't know that that's our commission. Or perhaps we're unwilling to consider that God might send us. And so I want to challenge you with that wherever you are. Like take time tonight, this week, ask God if he might be stirring you to consider going somewhere where there are fewer Christians, fewer churches, less gospel witness so that the nations, the coastlands, may also share in this rejoicing, share in this eternal security that you have in Jesus. This article talked about that question, why? Why is it that so few are unwilling to consider moving somewhere, going to another town for the sake of the gospel. And it says that perhaps it's that our joy in the Lord is being stolen by self-preservation. We want to preserve what we currently have. And um, not too long ago, um, I asked my wife for permission to share this story. Not too long ago, um, she um, came to a church of a family member and this church uh, leadership came to her and they said, oh, like we have been praying for you every day that you were away for safety and that you just come on home. And I'm sad. Because the truth is, they're not the only church that might say that. I think if we're honest, there are many of us that would say that. We just want safety and to make it home all right. But the truth is, like, this runs contrary to the gospel. The gospel says that we were created to spend our lives, not preserve them. This is why at Commonwealth we say, be sent and spent well for the gospel. I think we forget that 11 of 12 of the apostles were martyred for their faith. And the 12th being cast to an island. The paradox of the Christian faith is that in spending ourselves, this is what gives us life. Isaiah 58 says it well in verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually. And he himself will satisfy your desire in scorched places. And he will make your bones strong. And you, church, shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This is what it means to be fully surrendered to Christ. Is Jesus, I want to look upon you and encounter you. 
Because if I know you and I, I experience the intimacy with you and your glory, then I know that I will worship you. And if I worship you, it'll only make sense to obey you. We, as Christians, gain our lives by spending them. Commonwealth, be sent and spent well for the gospel. And so I want to petition to us that we would change our prayers. That instead of praying, Lord, change the unreached of the world to know you, that we would change it to, Lord, change us. Because we know that through us, you want to reach the unreached world. This is the call of every Christian. Our commission from Christ is to go and make disciples of all nations. Some will send, some will go, but all are commissioned. And part of what I love about this chapter, Psalm 97, is it highlights both the glory of God and the wrath of God as reasons that we would go. There's a, a missionary that lived in the late 1800s, largely to um, the, the Arabian world. And he said this, her name, his name is Samuel Zwimmer. Samuel said, our love for them is only increased by our intolerance of their rejection of the Christ. We cannot bear it, it pains us. In the days coming when many will confess him in the words of a Muslim convert to a Bible, she said this, I see now, that the very center of your religion is Christ. And I want to love and serve him. But church, I want to pose this question. How will they see Christ if no one goes to show them Christ? How will they see him? So that they might know him. So they might say, just as this woman who converted to follow Jesus. I see now that the very center of your religion is Christ. And I want to love him and serve him. She saw that he is worthy. He's worthy of worship and praise. But he's also worthy of obeying. So church, I just want to end with this. If we see Jesus fully, and we will obey him fully. If we see Jesus fully, we will obey him fully. Get to know Jesus through his word and through his people. And when you've seen him fully, know that this is for you. That you are among the righteous, you are among the holy, you are among the set apart. You are blessed, as Psalm 67 says, so that you might be a blessing to the nations, that the Lord would be known among the coastlands. So go and tell the world of this gloriously good news until our king returns to rule 
and to reign with us forever. I want to close with this. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. This is our promise. This is the peace that we will encounter when Jesus comes back. And we know that he won't come back until the gospel has gone to all the nations. Revelation 21, this is our promise, believer. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Commonwealth, let's be a household that longs for that city. For the day that our faith becomes sight and that God lives among us. But let's not neglect what we've been called to, to share that joy, to bear witness to the ends of the earth so that all nations might praise him and that every coastland would be glad. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that what you say will come to pass will. And thank you for your word in John 15. He says the Holy Spirit will bear witness and so will we. Jesus, that you have invited us to be the vessels of your grace and the vessels of your good news to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, may we find you glorious. May we behold your glory. And as we do, may we worship you and may we obey you. Because Jesus, a life spent with you is worth whatever the cost. So Jesus, change us so that through us, the peoples of the earth may know you, so that the coastlands might rejoice and be glad that they too have found salvation in Christ alone. Lord, we long for this day. Thank you that it will come because you said it would. pray in Jesus' name.